We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Beamaz and Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome in. Brian Mazarowski here with you uh, with a very special guest. No, it's not Joe Beamer. Joe is off this week. Well, he's not off. He'll be back in here a little bit later on this afternoon, and uh, we'll be hearing from him. But my special guest is our first in-studio guest in a very long time. You've heard him uh, many times before here on this station, Dr. Tom Russo, Chief of Infectious Disease at the Jacobs School of Medicine. Um, You are our first person to be allowed back in the studio from the outside world, so to speak, since maybe the last time you were in the studio uh, telling us all what this coronavirus thing was. I, I mean, it's been that long since we've had somebody sitting in here, so i got to say it's great to have you in here at the first time, be able to have these conversations face-to-face where you know so often they've been over the phone. It's a little more personable face-to-face. Yeah, I mean, it's great to be here. Parking wasn't a problem, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> it never is. Never is anymore uh, anywhere you go. Uh, hopefully that picks up soon. So, yeah, the, the last time we had you in, we were, you know, trying to sort through, right, um, corona- what is coronavirus? What do we have to worry about? I, um, I think at the time I was holding on to uh, concert tickets in Toronto um, for like a couple of days uh, from when we spoke here uh, in the studio and that, of course, was canceled, as were all the rest of my plans for the entire year. Um, but, you know, wondering, you know, what should I be worried about going to an event like this? Should I be using the hand sanitizer? Should I be washing my hands? It, is it kind of uh, amazing to you in a year and a half how the conversation has evolved, you know, week by week, month by month when talking about this? Yeah, I think one of the most amazing things of this era of COVID is the absolute rapid uh, development of new information. I mean, scientists, physicians, public health officials around the world, uh, physical engineers, uh, you know, in terms of airflow, you name it, have all really put their heads together to try as quickly as possible to sort out what's going on and give the public the best information to keep everyone safe. And and obviously a huge part of this has been the unbelievably rapid development of highly efficacious and safe vaccines, which is, as we all know, our our ticket out of this. And, uh, you know, looking better in this country, though we've got some work to be done, 
than other countries where their vaccination rates are low and they're getting in some trouble right now. So what I said yesterday was uh, I'm excited to have you in because the last time we were talking about, you know, what is this coronavirus? What do we have to look out for in the coming, you know, two weeks, right? That's It's always been two weeks. But now we're going to have you in. And I said, I'm probably going to talk about covid in the past tense, as if it's, uh, you know, a thing of the past, and you're here to tell me why I'm stupid for doing that, right? <laughs> is, is that how it's going to go? Uh, how, who can and uh, can we talk about COVID in the past tense freely uh, at this point? So where do you stand on that? Well, COVID is largely done with some of us. Those that are fully vaccinated are really in pretty good shape. And, uh, you know, the vaccines and, and really, I, I, you know, love the Pfizer, Moderna, the RNA vaccines. I think they're the best vaccines in the world. And we're blessed to have an ample supply. And anyone who wants those vaccines can readily uh, get their jabs uh, really in a walk-in fashion right now in this country. Many countries are, are jealous of that. So if you're vaccinated, you're in great shape. Unfortunately, if you're unvaccinated, uh, this virus uh, still may have a say with you. And uh, I think we're seeing that right now in certain parts of the country that have low vaccination rates. They're seeing uh, a bump in cases. And this is in part due to this most recent variant, which has been in the news, that the Delta variant. Uh, but also uh, this other variant, which we're now calling the Gamma variant, which was first described in Brazil. They're both on the rise. and. Uh, they're infecting, unfortunately, those that have yet to get vaccinated. And so that leads us to, all right, is it variant or is it scariant? I'm sure you've heard the term before, right? Uh, because when we hear about this, and I think it was a week straight, we'd have the TV on and, you know, the national news would come on 7 o'clock and it would be the warning of the Delta variant. And as we look around our community, we've seen a decreased amount of cases. Uh, we've seen our hospitalization now over the weekend with the lowest amount of people in western New York and the five counties hospitalized with COVID than we've had throughout the entire uh, past year plus uh, since going back to March of 2020, which is all great news. And, you know, at the same time, we're hearing this, oh, you've got to be nervous, the Delta variant. And, and it's tough to put the two in the same picture, right, uh, to see all this good positive stuff happening all around us, yet still maintain any sort of level of concern. Um, what do you, what does that Delta variant mean to us here in Western New York when you do have a large portion of the population that's either vaccinated or has had COVID before? Yeah, if you've been fully vaccinated, you're largely good with the Delta variant. Uh, the degree of protection against symptomatic disease is almost 90%, and it's high 90s to keep you out of hospital. So that's great news. Uh, the problem is that unfortunately we still have uh, a significant portion of the population that's uh, either not gotten their second shot, which is absolutely critical uh, for this particular variant because protection is in the low 30s after a single shot of the Pfizer vaccine, or you haven't gotten vaccinated at all. Now we're in better shape here in Western New York than we are in many parts of the country. We've done pretty well in the vaccination phase of this. But, you know, everyone counts the way I look at it. You know, even if there was only five or 10 percent of the people that weren't vaccinated, they're still at risk for getting infected. And, you know, it's unpredictable if you get infected with this uh, virus, both on the short term in terms of whether you're going to become acutely ill. And, you know, these intermediate and long term symptoms, obviously, concerning as well. And so, you know. Scaring is a terrible word. I hate using that. We need to put it in perspective, right? The vaccines protect us. 
Our public health measures protect us while we're waiting to get vaccinated. But I think it's also important to make people aware that if they are yet to get vaccinated or if they skip that second shot for whatever reason, you know, this is the time to step up. And, you know, we've got a great window here. Um, the weather's great here in Buffalo, though hot the last few days, but I guess we'll take that. And the virus does less well with outdoor activities in the summer. We know that. Um, but the vaccine takes five weeks to fully kick in if you get the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and so this is the time before I'm pretty sure cases will increase as we head into those cooler months in the fall. So this is the window of opportunity for those people that are at risk, that uh, are not protected at this time, sort of to join the, what I call almost the post-pandemic crowd if you've been fully vaccinated. Uh, so you'll both be safe from disease and you could feel more relaxed in doing all those things that we'd like to do, which a lot of us now are starting to mm -hmm. experience, like me being in the studio yeah. with you, Brian, and I may add, we're not wearing masks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to have happen. I, you know, I, when I mentioned at the top, talking about COVID as if it's in the past tense. It's obviously still here with us. Is it going to be here with us forever? Yeah, I think COVID is going to become a, a seasonal virus. Um, but I think it's no longer be, going to become the scourge that we had. I think we're going to see another sort of blip or bump here in Western New York in the weather months, hopefully not too much in the summer that we'll have to see. Uh, what sort of say this Delta variant has on that. And, uh, but, you know, if we get enough people vaccinated, it'll sort of almost be like influenza. Every year we'll have a certain number of individuals that get infected, but it won't be overwhelming our healthcare systems. And hopefully we'll minimize those number of individuals that have a bad outcome. And now here seems to be the trillion dollar question, right? So taking that in mind, what is that level? So what is that acceptable level of COVID? If it's going to be, you know, kind of around in the background for forever, what is the level of an infectious disease, whether it's COVID or the flu or something else, where we say that we're, we're living it? We're living our average, our normal lives with it. And how do we determine where that level is obviously it's you know kind of a i guess a collective decision amongst all of us you know what our tolerance is for it but when you're faced with that question uh what's your thinking on that yeah i mean as an infectious disease physician that's a really easy question because we have a vaccine that could prevent serious disease hospitalizations and death so my level is if we convert a potentially lethal disease that could have long-term effects into the common cold, I'm great with that. Mm -hmm. That's what my level is. And we know vaccination gets it done. And, you know, the same rules apply uh, to influenza. We have a vaccine for influenza. Unfortunately, not near as good. And maybe in this new era of RNA vaccines, we're going to be able to up our game and get a better influenza vaccine. But every year, unfortunately, you know, in this comparison, oh, well, initially, you know, COVID is no worse than influenza. Not a great comparison because even influenza in bad years kills many, many yeah. people, right? And so uh, I would like to prevent all of those untoward outcomes, if people then just get the common cold and get to stay home from work for a few days, that's my level. I could live with that. And, uh, and the key to that, of course, is getting as many people vaccinated as possible. Uh, take it, advantage of these great vaccines. It seems like the fear of uh, when we talk about the variants, the fear is that, correct me if I'm wrong at any point, obviously, um, that, you know, a variant can go one of two ways. It can, you know, maybe slightly modify or not at all, um, you know, what we know about the virus or maybe make it 
less transmissible or less harmful to people, or it could make it more harmful. And I guess the fear is that, you know, one of these variants would make the virus more harmful and uh, would become something that is not protected uh, or is not uh, defended by a vaccine or by prior infection or something like that. Looking at these variants that we know about, can you say which way we're headed with these? Does it appear that, you know, the variants are making it more or less uh, transmissible, more or less deadly? Do we know, you know, which way we're headed? Or is that something that it depends on each individual variant of the virus? We sort of know. So a common theme of all the variants has been they've been more infectious. And when you think about that from an evolutionary point of view, you know, those are the mutations that are going to be selected out that could be more easily transmitted to another individual, so that way they'll be able to spread. Uh, for the most part, these variants do not seem to cause more severe disease directly. However, one of their mechanisms of spreading more efficiently is that individuals have larger viral loads and are infectious for longer periods of time. So if you're exposed to such an individual, then you might get a bigger viral load when you initially get infected, and uh, that could make you more ill. Everything being equal, if you get, you know, a hundredfold more virus, you know, mm -hmm. uh, at one point our immune system doesn't handle it as well. You could overwhelm our immune system. So, you know, that's one of the concerns with the Delta virus. This is the most infectious variant to date and though we're still sorting out you know how many days people are infectious for and is it dumping a whole lot more virus you know if you get a thousand fold more even if you're young and healthy that may be more than your body could handle and land you in hospital uh, and so that's one of the present concerns the real scary thing that we're all worried about and, and the vaccines work great against all of these variants that have been described to date so you know that allows me to sleep at night but the one that'll keep us up is if, uh, and I'm, I'm an optimist, I'm hoping this is not going to happen, and to date there's some suggestion it's less likely to happen because all the variants have some sort of common mutations, is one that evades vaccine-induced immunity, where not to the degree that, you know, you have more common colds, I think we could live with that, but one that evades vaccine-induced immunity where we land in hospital, get sick, and, you know, results in bad outcomes. That's the one that we fear. Hopefully that won't emerge. It hasn't emerged to date, but obviously we're keeping our eyes out for that. I, it seems like we're in a pretty good place here in western New York. You mentioned uh, being outside uh, on the spread of the virus. Is it amazing to you, first, before we get into this, I, people are still asking questions and still there seems to be, I think, widespread confusion based on who you talk to, based on the different practices that are in place at different businesses or, you know, where you go, uh, whether it's the office, of how the virus spreads. You know, after a year plus, we're still, you know, we have all these things that depending on how what you know about how the virus spreads, they're either sensible or they just make completely no sense whatsoever at all um is that crazy to you that after speaking you know to every media outlet here in buffalo and beyond that there's still this confusion 
Yeah, I think the biggest confusion is early on that huge emphasis on, you know, fomite spread, where you touch a you know, contaminated surface and you're going to get infected if you touch your eyes, nose, or mouth. And we've learned now that that's really a minor uh, mode of spread, if, if at all. And, and as, as you know and I know, Brian, mm -hmm. the primary mode of spread, you know, is uh, respiratory secretions uh, when you're in close contact with someone. But we've also learned um, that those respiratory secretions could be in the form of aerosols that spread at greater distances. So if you're in a poorly ventilated space, you know, uh, as I, I've liked to say from the beginning, there's nothing magical about six feet. And though we know that's the greatest danger zone, one could get it infected indoors at larger distances. That's why outdoors, since this is a respiratory uh, spread uh, with this particular virus, uh, is so forgiving. Large air volume disperses the virus, and, and so that, that's why Buffalo summers are great for yeah. yet one more reason, right? Less likely to get infected with this virus. The, from everything we've seen, all the evidence in there, is that maybe the big, is the aerosol factor of it maybe the biggest cause of spread, do we think? Um, you know, more so than droplets, more so than, you know, touching your face or mouth. Is it that aerosol spread? Because that would seem like the easiest way for something like this to spread. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's still going to be that close proximity. Because in close, close proximity, you get both the smaller aerosol droplets that could travel greater distances and the larger respiratory droplets. And the larger droplets contain a lot more virus. So close quarters still is the highest risk for a prolonged period of time getting infected or direct swapping of uh, secretions as mm -hmm. well, you know, as we're emerging out of this, you know. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if if you have uh, an intimate individual, you know, Make that's another out. mode of spread, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I it just it, it I, I'm thinking about this in terms of we always hear like when this happens again, you know, when we're faced with another virus like this. Can you draw conclusions uh, from one to another? Like, was there reason to, you know, fear all this to be wiping everything down all the time to, you know, get away from cash payments at the beginning or should we have assumed from the start that you know basically talking face to face and that aerosol idea would be most likely well we should have definitely assumed that talking face to face and the respiratory droplets in aerosol was going to be a major mode of spread but other viruses such as the rhinoviruses that cause the common cold Fomite spread is felt to be very important and that's been demonstrated so that's where that came from paradigms for other viruses but every virus isn't identical, and uh, we were on the learning curve for this one, and eventually we figured out that what applies to rhinovirus doesn't apply to SARS-CoV-2, the cause of COVID. We have so much more to talk about. Dr. Tom Russo is joining us live and so excited to have someone live in studio for the first time in a very long time. I'm like trying to remember how to do this, uh, Dr. Russo, trying to remember how to make eye contact, uh, how to make people comfortable in here in the uh, studio setting. Um, I think we might have vacuumed. Oh, apparently that's not the case um, just in the past couple of days just to try and uh, make things a little bit nicer over here. But we have Dr. Russo. He is live in studio with us. And we do want to talk about the vaccines. That seems to be the most important topic still uh, when it comes to this. And some of the common questions people have about vaccination and also about vaccination worldwide and, you know, kind of uh, sharing what we have uh, a wealth of here, certainly in New York and uh, probably, I think, throughout the country by now, no matter where you are in the U.S. 
with the rest of the world and some of the uh, maybe morality questions that come into play when talking about that. So still much more to come. Dr. Tom Russo is our in-studio guest, and we'll be back here at BMAS and Beamer on WBEN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. It's Beamaz and Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome back on WBEN. Brian Mazarowski here. You'll hear Joe Beamer uh, a little bit later on this afternoon, but I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Tom Russo, Chief of Infectious Disease at the Jacobs School of Medicine. Our first in studio guest in well over a year. So excited uh, for that and excited that it's you who's joined us so many times to kind of talk us through this, you know, what we know on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis as this whole thing has evolved over the past year from trying to figure out what COVID is to the best ways to keep yourself safe to, uh, you know, information on the vaccines and everything in between. So excited to have you in here and glad you can join us for the hour. There's still so much more to get to, including on the vaccinations themselves there's still a lot of questions and we're still talking about pretty much the same three vaccines that we have this entire time you know nothing new has come out since the johnson and johnson vaccine has gotten that emergency use authorization um and you know all that kind of happened in a relative it, it was within a month right between the pfizer approval and the johnson and johnson approval we've been talking about the same three yet there's still a lot of questions as to what exactly am I putting in my body? And I, I want to start off with that because I there's so many people, if you go online, which all of us are, because that's where half of us are working right now, is, you know, offices are working to ramp back, who are very eager to, you know, jump down the throat and, you know, you know how dare you question this or that. Or, and I've always kind of said, if you're putting something in your body, it doesn't matter, you know, what it is. That you should be asking questions, you know, before you go and do it. And you should understand everything, especially if you're a little uncomfortable. And I, I want to start there with, as a doctor, I'm sure you kind of feel the same way of you should be asking questions. I, I doubt that you are, you know, chastising anybody who's asking the question or at least curious about what they're doing and wants to figure out more information. Yeah. Always. People should always ask questions about any of their health care. I mean, patients that are informed uh, really are in the best position to make the best possible decisions for themselves. And then hopefully, if they're comfortable with the conversation and agree with the health care decisions on how to best move forward, 
will be compliant with treatment. And obviously, if a, a treatment plan is laid out, it's critically important for that individual to follow the treatment plan to get the best results. Uh, and when it comes to vaccinations, of course, you know, these vaccines have been under the microscope. I mean, this is the first time in history, right, where we're undertaking the mission of vaccinating the world. And, uh, and so many people, and as a result, uh, people have been so tuned in to every little this and that about the vaccines, safety, how well they work. And then, of course, it all changes when a new variant arrives on the scene, you know, is that going to impact vaccines or not? Uh, and so it's almost been an endless process in terms of educating people about the vaccines. And unfortunately, then there's been this counterforce, right, where uh, as much accurate information is disseminated, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation that's being disseminated out there as well that constantly needs to be corrected. Uh, and so it's been, uh, I feel like, almost Sisyphus rolling that stone up the hill and never quite making it and then mm -hmm. rolling back down uh, upon me. But I think slowly we're making progress. Uh, and but our work is not yet done. We're in the education business, and this is part of what we're doing today. I, I think part of it, and we've talked so much over the course of the past few months about the messaging around the vaccine. The first big issue seemed to be the messaging that you get the vaccine and nothing changes, right? You get the vaccine and, oh, we still don't know if you can take off the mask. We still don't know if you could do this or that safely, even after you've been vaccinated, that seems to have largely been taken away now. That we're, you know, kind of, you, you're you vaccinated, you should feel safe from COVID no matter what you're doing uh, out there, right? So we've kind of overcome that hurdle of the messaging. Where I think now people who, and, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, obviously, but the general sense I get in talking to people in the community, talking to people on this show, is that there are a couple of things that make them a little uneasy about the vaccine. One of those would be just the, the as you mentioned, the push, right? It's the race to get the world vaccinated. And with that push is obviously going to come constant messages of the vaccine is available, get the vaccine, you know, this this kind of push for anything, you know, medical. I think people are wary of that just in general. And it doesn't matter if it's a COVID vaccine or, you know, any sort of pharmaceutical or a lifestyle change or something like that. I think anytime there's a push in the way that we've seen over the past few months, I, people don't like to be pushed, you know, quite frankly. I Do you see that? And, you know, have you noticed that not just over the past months, but I'm assuming in your history as a medical professional? Yeah, of course, no one likes to be pushed into anything, particularly if they don't feel they've been properly informed. And I, I think my approach has always been to sort of lay the facts out there. And I think the facts have emerged over the last uh, sort of six plus months of experience with having these vaccines is that, you know, they're extraordinarily effective, they're extraordinarily safe, and in particular, the Pfizer, Moderna, RNA vaccines. Uh, and though no vaccine is perfect, it largely protects us both from getting infected and transmitting, as you alluded to, that infection to others. It took us a while to figure that out. Um, and the benefits of vaccination far, far, far outweigh uh, the risks if you actually get infected with COVID. Um, but, you know, people need to hear that. They need to be able to digest it. And uh, it's a process for some people. And at the same time, you know, as that messaging is going out there, they're hearing other things as well. And so sometimes it comes to who do I believe, which source is most reliable. 
and uh, and that's been a battle in the process. I, it's kind of been a battle in uh, terms of some people's own. Um, they they have themselves to blame, and I'm kind of looking at the CDC when I think about this. You know, a comment like impending doom. And then we see nothing since then but cases falling and hospitalizations falling. And I mean, that does hurt the credibility and make you wonder, well, who do I listen to uh, when it comes to this? Yeah, I mean, finding that trusted source is, is key, you know. So uh, I'd like to think, Brian, you and I are trusted sources. And, uh, um, but um, there's no question that I think an individual needs to try to identify that person that they trust, that could give them reliable information. And, you know, at this point in the process where, you know, those people that were anxious to get the vaccine, you know, couldn't wait to get in the front of the line, those people have been vaccinated. It's now the people that require more information, need to sort things out. They need to find that individual. I'd like to think it might be their primary health care provider. Uh, I'd like to think to agree it might be people, you know, like myself and et cetera. But obviously, I don't have a personal relationship with people. Mm -hmm. I'm this nebulous figure, you know, that you might hear over the radio waves. Um, but um, I think you might find that person. Maybe it's a well-informed pastor or another community member or maybe a family member that's been vaccinated, has gone through the process and, and took them a while to find their way. And, and now they sorted things out. Whoever that person may be for you, I think, is a critical person to try to go ahead and connect with that individual and try to get the information uh, that you need to make the best decision for yourself. I, I think for a lot of people, that person is somebody who just has no either monetary or political stake in the game. And those people are like, it, se it seems like from the outside, those people are kind of few and far between. Uh, it seems like it's hard to find at least amongst the voices that you hear so constantly on TV, especially national TV? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, politics and capitalism to a degree have been, uh, you know, resulted in very mixed messaging uh, during this pandemic. Uh, and you already gave sort of one example that never panned out. And, you know, the CDC took a hit in their credibility, uh, both early on and even uh, more recently. Um, but I think, you know, we, we have to put all that behind us. We have to put behind us some of the messaging we heard from the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and I think we have to, again, sort of just refocus on those people that you trust, listen to them, and try to get the best possible information that you feel is from an unbiased source that's most accurate. And I'd like to add that I think social media is that source is fraught with danger. Uh, social media is really uh, has a, a huge amount of misinformation. Uh, and then once you start going down the misinformation path, you know, the algorithms and social media want to keep eyeing the screen. So they keep feeding you that misinformation because they say, hey, I, they wanted to read this story about this. I'll give them another and another. And after a while, you might believe it's true because you've read 100 stories that uh, have discussed that. And, you know, social media is being manipulated by outside entities that have interests in, in slowing us down in this community in this country. And, you know, uh, we've seen that with our elections and we've seen that in the vaccination game as well. The first country to get vaccinated and get back to normal is going to be a big winner in this pandemic. And right now we're really doing well. And some people are trying to slow us down. Yeah, that's, that's an important point, I think, to keep in mind, uh, you know, when it comes to the global scale of things and what we've seen not just during this pandemic, but in the past, we know what can happen when people uh, infiltrate some of these social media sites. 
The other, I think, big concern people have when it comes to uh, if you are a little skeptical about the vaccine is maybe this tendency that we see to dismiss concerns. And now you mentioned that the uh, the benefits far outweigh the risks. But when we hear something like uh, myocarditis come up in the past few weeks, and, you know, it's a few hundred people, but not just general people, a few hundred people, I think mostly men, mostly younger men under the age of 30. And you hear that, and for some people, alarm bells will obviously go off, especially if you're in that age group. But it is seemingly, you know, it's not talked about a lot. You don't, that gets far uh, less attention than the Delta variant or, you know, some of these other stories that we hear uh, a lot. And for some people, that is a very big deal, I think, especially when we're talking about that age group. I, I guess, why don't we first start off with the myocarditis, what we have found out over the past few weeks uh, when it comes to that side effect. So the myocarditis has been associated with the RNA vaccines, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine. In fact, it's the only significant adverse reaction that's been associated with them. Fortunately, it's rare. As you already mentioned, it seems to be primarily in that younger age group, 16 to 24, a few people a little bit older than that. And these individuals have what we call myocarditis, which is inflammation of either the uh, sac that surrounds our heart called the pericardium or actually the heart itself. The good news is that it's very transient. It's very mild. No one has died from this as of yet. Symptoms are quite short-lived, often with no treatment at all or very trivial treatment. Uh, and uh, obviously it's something we're keeping an eye on. It's in the order of, uh, in this age group, one in the hundreds of thousands. You know, we're still sort of sorting out the number. It's not really common, but you know, when you're making that decision, I think people want to, you know, sort of know the numbers and the, and the odds to decide if that is the best thing for them. It is important to note, however, though, and sometimes this gets lost, is that myocarditis is a common complication of getting infected with COVID, much more common. And in fact, there's been some great studies of elite athletes from universities, and they've actually been studied the most uh, because they're trying to keep them on the field and make sure they don't have any untowards effect of infection, where, you know, really a couple of percent of those individuals get myocarditis, which has been, uh, at least to date, uh, in some individuals, more severe. Uh, and so, again, that's part of the risk-benefit. You say, okay, there's this adverse reaction to myocarditis, which I think is probably vaccine-associated, though we're still absolutely definitively associated with that. But again, for almost anything, the disease, unfortunately, is much worse. And so that's why things, the vaccine always wins in balance. Do you see, anecdotally, though, for people, especially in that age group, I think you're, you're, you hear this story, and you hear, oh, mild inflammation of the heart. You know, can there be such a thing? You know, I think that's what goes through, what, you know, is there a mild, you're talking about your heart here, how mild can it be, you know, if it's anything? And you see, you probably, I'm sure by now, almost everybody has experience with, I mean, if not multiple, at least one person they know close to them who has contracted COVID, you know, by this point um, and kind of seen how they've interacted with it. And for a lot of people in that age group, especially if you are healthier, you know, it does seem to present like more of a, a mild cold or a cough. Um, I think especially recently, and maybe you can clarify this for me, it, it seems like it's more cold than cough 
recently, um, at least from what I'm hearing anecdotally, as opposed to maybe six months ago when it was, you know, more of the the cough and uh, loss of taste and smell. It seems like we're talking a little bit less about that. So I guess this is a two-part question. Uh, One, if that's true at all, if I'm just imagining things from what I'm hearing from people who have contracted COVID, but also just that age group, I mean, it does play a big factor in that talk of risk-reward of a vaccine is not the same for the general public. You know, it's obviously very obvious the older you are. And then it, it does become more of a conversation the younger you are. Yeah, so if the first part of that, Brian, is the younger you are, you tend to have more of those sort of common cold symptoms. You know, sort of a runny nose, maybe a sore throat, less of the cough, less of shortness of breath, because that's really a reflection of more severe disease. And we know statistically, the older you are or certain underlying conditions, an important one is obesity, which we've talked about in the show a lot, uh, you're more likely to get uh, severe disease. I think that young people feel that, well, if I get infected, the likelihood that I land in hospital or die is a small number. And so that's weighing heavily in the decision of whether to get vaccinated or not. But I think a point, and again, it's something we've talked a lot about, you've, you've got to see the whole field with COVID. You've got to play the long game. And just because when you get infected, you don't necessarily have an immediate bad outcome, doesn't necessarily mean then that you're scot-free. We're learning already that a significant proportion of younger individuals that get mild disease that never land in hospital have these symptoms that last weeks or months, all sorts of combinations, anywhere from brain fog uh, to having fatigue and headaches and uh, you know the abnormal uh, sense of taste and smell is still somewhat uh, prevalent and in fact nasty smells. And the long-term consequences of, you know, Various organs in your body taking a hit, your heart, your brain, your kidneys, your lungs, etc., may not right now have any impact on you since you have such great organ reserve when you're young. But maybe 5, 10, 20 years from now is going to catch up with you. And though we're still learning about that and we don't know for sure, I really have significant concern about the long-term consequences. And people have to look past that immediate period and look, what is the potential consequences for my health over a lifetime? And I think if you look at it that way, I think for young people, that's why the vaccine makes so much sense. We know the vaccine, adverse reactions almost always occur in the first two months. I mean, we talked about the one rare one with the Pfizer vaccines. Nothing else has popped up. Um, whereas COVID itself is this huge black box, uh, which could potentially uh, be very uh, dangerous. And so if individuals look at that, Hopefully, they'll look at the vaccine slightly differently. I, I want to talk about some of those long-term symptoms, you know, the so-called long COVID. And, I, you know, it, for me, it's never quite added up all the way, especially you talk about, like, brain fog and speaking with some mental health experts. Um, you know, that's going to be common of anyone who's been thrown out of a routine. You know, a routine is so important for mental health that, you know, you can kind of get this fogginess, a sense of, you know, uh, 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 I'm not quite remembering things the right way. Does there need to be some sort of like control group when talking about some of these long-term symptoms? Because especially when we start talking about, you know, tiredness or some of the more mental aspects of what's been described as long COVID, I mean, I, I don't think it's a far reach to assume that's 
something everybody's been dealing with just because of how thrown off everybody has been over the last year and a half. Yeah, I, your point's well taken. And, and the good news is now we're finally getting studies that are, are looking at these intermediate uh, and uh, designed long-term symptoms with control groups. And there was one that was quite concerning that just came out of the UK. Fortuitously, they had set up such groups to look at long-term health consequences from a variety of risk factors. Pre-COVID, they set this up, 50,000 people. Well, they had this database where they did blood work, they did urinalysis, they did imaging of the brain, and suddenly COVID happened. So what they recently did, and a paper was published on this, is they took those individuals in the group that had COVID and a matched control group that did not have COVID and looked at the brain. And the results were a little concerning. Uh, there was actually loss of gray matter that corresponded to the areas where you lose sense of taste and smell. So that corresponded with what we know is happening with these individuals. And what was perhaps more concerning, at least to me, because uh, slowly that, that sense is uh, people are recovering those, is that's also where some of our memory functions are. And, um, you know, what I would all like to avoid is, you know, individuals taking a hit with sort of higher functions that are particularly important for us functioning in life. You know, the brain fog is probably multifactorial. It, it's probably some of those direct effects on the virus in terms of the brain. And it's also a combination of life's stress, anxiety, depression, and all of these things that unfortunately been uh, perhaps a little bit neglected and not talked about as much, but have been a consequence of this pandemic. It's turned our lives on our heads, right? Uh, before we have to go, I want to, we kind of mentioned uh, the morality aspect of this, and there is this push because the vaccine has that emergency use authorization for kids as young as 12 to get younger people vaccinated here in this country. But knowing what we know about COVID, its effect on younger people, isn't our vaccine supply that we have now, I mean, obviously, we're not giving away the entire farm here, but isn't it much better to spread that to other countries to treat the older population who is, you know, how many times more likely to suffer these severe outcomes? I mean, it's a life and death situation for some people over the age of 70, 65 years old in other countries where the vaccine is not more widely available. Wouldn't our focus be better off there in the immediate future? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting argument, and I'm not sure if there's a right or wrong answer. But I would point out that by vaccinating our children, we are going to protect our vulnerable individuals that have chosen not to get vaccinated, obviously a decision I'm not embracing, or those individuals that have chosen to get vaccinated, but because of their underlying immunocompromised state, and maybe our most elderly now appear not to be responding optimally to the vaccine, at least that will afford some protection indirectly from those individuals, because we know children are major, major reservoirs of the virus and transmission and spread. Uh, you know, our pediatric population does represent just a fraction of percent of the world's population. And so uh, vaccine supplies are ramping up. Uh, at the end of the day, at this point now, uh, perhaps maybe two or three months ago, that might have made a difference. I'm not sure how much of an impact it's going to make at this point. 
Um, as you know, Brian, I'm, uh, I'm in favor of vaccinating our children. I think that's an important uh, component of bringing uh, this uh, situation, this country to an end and protecting our children, both in the short term and long term and those individuals they interact with. Um, but I think people could also make uh, the other argument, and they have obviously. Um, but I think we could both agree that we do need to vaccinate the world. And not only is that important for the health of the world overall, but if you want to be egocentric about it, which we tend to be in this country at times, that's the best way to curb replication of the virus and evolution of variants, which potentially then could circumvent vaccination and come back to bite us. Dr. Russo, thank you so much for coming in studio. It's great to have you here for the hour and uh, great to have you as our first in-studio guest. He's Dr. Tom Russo. He's the chief of infectious disease at the Jacobs School of Medicine. Tomorrow, my in-studio guest, a man who will eat 20 hot dogs in under a minute. You listen to BMAS and Beamer on WBEN. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 